0: Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by two first-time guests. Introduce yourselves.
1: Hey, it's Alex Better.
2: And I'm Katie Menard.
1: Yay, we're so excited to have you both. Yeah, I'm excited, yeah,
2: to, excited be be to be here.
0: <laughs> I like that, Katie, we literally just met on Twitter, like, last week. <laughs>
2: the power of twitter
0: i know anytime i see that someone likes buffy i'm like wait a minute you should be on our podcast podcast is brought to you by twitter by Um, twitter.com yeah okay so katie would you like to give us your buffy origin story
2: um i literally did not watch buffy when it was on the air um i was like a little bit too young when it first started and i also lived in the middle of nowhere and we literally didn't get the wb um i didn't end up watching it until college um it just like was not on my radar in high school unfortunately so I watched it for the first time on Netflix which you know I was very privileged in that way (laughs) um I got to binge it all I didn't have to buy the DVDs (laughs) um yeah so I watched it freshman year of college uh coincidentally like right when I was like coming out so um that was fun (laughs) uh I have a very strong connection to Willow in that way Um, But, yeah, I watched it in college. I got to talk about it in, like, all my college classes because of that. Um, And, yeah, that's my origin story. Nice, nice.
0: Um, Alex, would you like to tell us your origin? Yeah,
1: of course. So, I distinctly remember. I also kind of the same situation as that when Buffy originally aired, I was, like, probably not in the age range to really watch it. Like, I actually distinctly remember being a child, like, being, like, young (laughs) and being at someone's house for, like, a party and accidentally seeing um, the gingerbread episode. Uh,
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, like, by accident. Like, uh, (laughs) and, like, also, like, I wasn't really, like, I was was easily scared as a child. Like, I was very scarred by a viewing of um, the original Salem's Lot miniseries that my mom let me watch when I was a kid oh that scared me too
0: when I was a kid yeah
1: (laughs) right kids yeah children die in it so it's like it's a lot and so I uh I was really scared by that so like my parents kind of I feel like monitored uh, the content that could be like a little bit spooky (laughs) at first (laughs) and like I would say like more scary it's like they they definitely like uh, Buffy was like kind of a not in my wheelhouse of being able to watch it either was like the x files like stuff like that so i like started watching buffy really when i was in high school because i started working at the the library to do my community service hours because you have to do like 60 hours of community service to graduate high school in my town and i worked at the library and they had the series on dvd so like between, it was, like, Buffy and, like, some others, like, Six Feet Under. Like, I would, like, check them out, like, one disc at a time. <laughs> and, like, watch it. So, uh, that's kind of, like, how I ended up watching the complete series. But I watched the series. I'm pretty sure it was, like, over by the time I started watching it. Cause when did Buffy go off the air? 2000 like we, I was. What was it, Matthew?
0: 2003?
1: 2003?
0: Yeah, ended in yeah. 2003.
1: 2003. Because, yeah. So, like, I was in high school... Like I didn't start high school until like 2000, what like 2006 or 2005 or whatever. So I start watching it. Like
0: God, after Alex, that. I always forget how much younger you are than me. Lord,
1: oh my god,
0: uh, I have a nervous breakdown about it. Um, <laughs> that's really cute that it scared you. Um, you know, everything everything scared me. Are you kidding. Salem's Lot scared me so much that the only thing I remember from it. I want to say in like the very beginning, there's a scene with a scarecrow in a cornfield and the eyes like glow red. And mm-hmm. I remember seeing that on TNT and turning it off immediately and having nightmares about a scarecrow <laughs> with bright eyes.
2: <laughs> I do yeah. not like that.
1: <laughs> I used to just remember there's a sequence where the, the, the Glick boys, so like one of them, they're like two boys in the town, brothers, and like one of them goes missing. They're like, oh, we can't find him. And then the other, because a vampire comes to town and slowly infects the entire town. And he's in, the other Glick brothers in bed and, like, his brother floats to the window and it's, like, that cheesy, like, foggy, uh, (laughs) like, made-for-TV movie effects. And he, like, raps on the window until he, like... The brother lets him in, and then you find the brother dead the next day. I don't know. I ne- I did not sleep. I did not sleep in my own bed for a while. I was really scared by it. And so I think my parents were like, yeah, maybe Buffy isn't in your, you know. Yeah. Up to, up to snuff for you. You're not up to snuff for Buffy yet. So I didn't really see it until much later.
0: It's funny. My mom gets really scared easily, and she, like... Would occasionally have nightmares about Buffy because, like, she's the one that got me into it, which I've said a million mm-hmm. times. But and like, I remember her being like, "I don't know that I can watch it anymore." Like, it's, the werewolves scare me a little bit, and like, the <sighs> werewolves are like the worst part of it that like are not remotely yeah. scary. <laughs> yeah. Um. But so today we are here to discuss season four's superstar.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Yay. Matthew, would you like to begin?
3: Sure. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, um, one second. Um, So yeah, no, I'm actually not prepared to talk about it right just yet, because I forgot to pull up the... Okay, here we are. All
0: right. Oh, yeah.
3: So this episode starts out with, as many episodes do, with them hunting in the graveyard, in a graveyard for vamps and stuff. But um, obviously, like, right away, the tone is very different. And you can kind of tell that something's off, and then they kind of find a nest, and Buffy is hesitant to go in. Um,
0: and you're like, so what, did what we... the fuck?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the teaser at the beginning is that, like, right after they go to, well, after they see the nest, they're like, we need to go get help. And they go to a mansion and Jonathan's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have the credits that have Jonathan's face in them.
0: Also, I wanted to point out, I think this is one of the first times Anya patrols with them. Do you know, Matthew? I think so, right? Um, like, I yeah, know she's I've... fought demons with them, but I don't think she's actually patrolled with them before this episode.
3: Well, this episode, I think, is the first in season four where they're all... Where, I mean, not the first, but, like, it's one of the first times in season four that they are all patrolling together in general. Yeah. Because there's been less patrolling in the season, and then also
0: less of them um, all together yeah
3: there's less of them all together so it's like this this is and it's because this is also the first episode where like tara is in the group without yeah. there being any like separateness between nice. them.
1: um yeah but it it opens on like this also it, what i immediately like rewatching, and i was like oh, okay so yeah this is like another case of like buffy did it first but um i'm not sure if y'all are Rick and morty fans at all yeah um yeah. but it's basically the, <laughs> mis- the the mr poopy butthole <laughs> episode episode of buffy and that like there's suddenly a character that the show and i think buffy does buffy will do this like later in like season five as well where like they'll like establish a character and like it, this was like kind of like the first test run of like okay like what if like what if like uh the way that these characters interact in the world they were in were totally different we don't really um uh what do you call it we don't really like acknowledge that fact like suddenly like jonathan's in the opening credits yeah, and it's like, like there. very often but it's like the the, the mr poopy butthole like that <laughs> like it's some there's suddenly been a character interjected into this um it, into like the very like kind of uh not only like the narrative but like also like the the kind of like a, a kind of like a meta commentary like he's interjected into the opening credits
0: yeah also that's my favorite episode of Rick and
1: Morty. <laughs> I, that's my favorite episode. Yes, I think that's that's probably my favorite episode of Rick and Morty. I think it's like one of the smartest episodes of Rick and Morty. Yeah.
3: Well, it it's funny that you bring up another show cuz I had a note that this felt like um I don't know if anyone here is a huge Desperate Housewives fan, but it felt like one of those Desperate Housewives episodes where they focus on a minor character. Yes. And, like yeah. um and you can hear like Mary Alice being like, Jonathan Levinson had always been looked over (laughs) his entire life. Mm -hmm. And like, that's exactly what it feels like to me, like that kind of device of telling a story through like another character's eyes.
2: Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. funny. Jane the Virgin this week just, and I watched it like right before I watched this, um, did a whole meta commentary about writing about a side character and the like whole main story from a totally um, minor character's point of view.
3: Which character did they do?
2: Um, So it's like Jane is trying to like write her personal skin from a side character and she tries Petra and it doesn't work. And then she does Louisa. So you see like Louisa's side of artificial, her artificially inseminating Jane. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's pretty good.
3: I have not seen this week's episode. So I'm behind, but wow.
2: So I do like the
0: way they do the reveal. Um, and even the scene of them walking up to Jonathan feels different than the way a buffy scene would be filmed, doesn't it? Like it feels mm-hmm. more like yeah like grand and like I don't know, it just felt different, which I like. Um
2: Yeah, the whole tone is really different at the beginning. <coughs> especially like the music. Yeah. And yeah. like it's very like jaunty yeah. <laughs> at points throughout the episode. <laughs> Um,
0: well it's very
3: like 007
2: music,
3: and it's also like the whole thing has this kind of like 1940s 50-ish noir feeling to it Mm -hmm. and I think it's a really it's a really it's really good at setting up like a tone and a mood that Buffy usually wouldn't have like everything that the episode is doing is in service of creating this tone and it's really good at it Mm -hmm. yeah because even this episode I think it's I think it's easy to dismiss this episode because the dialogue is so bad, but I think that, like, they're trying to make the dialogue bad like a 40s or 50s movie.
1: Right, and I also think this is, everything is, it's not good because it's from Jonathan's perspective. Yeah, (laughs) it's not
2: good because it's not a well-formed story. Yeah. (laughs) because Because it's so just, like, thrown together with the spell.
3: Yeah, it, well, cause I go, go ahead, go ahead.
1: It's very much like you know, uh he is able to like kind of um through the events of the episode. You kind of see like um the personification of I don't know. It's like if uh, I'm not sure if you've all felt this, but like if you've ever felt like you haven't had a voice or like you haven't been able to like uh to like really like. Uh, or you feel unnoticed, or kind of invisible, and like you kind of think to yourself, like, "Oh, what if I had like X, Y, and Z qualities? What if like the attention was on me?" Like, and uh, I think those fantasies though are actually not very um, complex or interesting. There.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, what the the next scene actually kind of proves your point, right? Because mm-hmm. it's the scene in the episode that would usually come a little bit later, where like they're all in Giles's apartment trying to figure out what to do about, you know, a small problem that they're having, like the vampire nest. Uh-huh. And, like, Willow can't even figure out how to get inside. And, like, Buffy's unsure if she can fight it. And Giles is, like, barely barely understands the research. But, like, Jonathan can do everything. And I love that moment where Jonathan, like, says five correct things in a row, and then he stops to, like, beat Giles at chess.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> And, like, I mean, you're right in that, like, being super good at everything is uninteresting. And I think um, we can talk about this throughout, too. I want to put this out there in that, like, I think that, obviously, Buffy is written by a bunch of nerds and geeks who understand this. And I think that it's a total, like, Gary Stew thing. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Like, it's For such sure. a, like, like this is some Luke Skywalker shit. And it's really, like, interesting because that's Jonathan's idea of a hero in that he's good at everything, but like no one on Buffy is good at everything, and they're human, and Jonathan's not being real.
1: Right. It kind of ta- I think it takes away from like you see if if um if one person on the show was able to like do every much like in any story like if uh, which is like the 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 Gary Sue Mary Sue kind of element like if one person is uh, able to like do all these things perfectly, it actually diminishes every other character, and it diminishes like the overall. I feel like. Uh, like kind of content and also um, uh, I guess uh, substance of the story it like kind of actually does a disservice to everything um, and of course I think Jonathan's only thought is like in wanting to belong and be the center of attention that like he would be like good at every single thing
0: I agree <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, so then they obviously, they go to the nest and they do the slaying and there's that moment where like, one of them is running by Buffy and Jonathan does like that somersault (laughs) and, and like, and somersault and kills the one as he's walking, as he's kind of running away from Buffy and then she's all feeling like inadequate and he's like, you did your best.
0: I, so I, this is my biggest issue with the episode is I have a lot of trouble watching that. Um, it's
2: so, like, disarming. Right?
0: <laughs> like, for me, I didn't... In, like, I, it like. is funny, like, him saying five right things and then beating Giles at chess, but I'm like, no, stop, like, doing this to my babies because they're all really smart and capable, and I hate seeing... Which, I mean, later on, which we'll get to, I like that Buffy's the one that picks up on it, and she's like, wait a minute. Like, why is he able to do this? Um, but I hate seeing... Like all of like you know, Willow's like, "Oh, I don't know how to do this," and then he like does whatever she needs to do on the computer in like two steps. I don't know. For me, I'm like, no, I want her to fight. I don't want to watch an episode where doofus nerd is like, "Oh, look at me! I can do everything better than Buffy." Well, it's Mm -hmm. not a whole episode. It's just
3: it's just really like the one scene.
0: Well, no, the whole episode is like him doing everything better than them.
3: Well, I think so. I you know, I think that this season has done this a few times where it's like. I mean they did it once in helpless like in the third season where yeah. Buffy completely lost her powers but it was not like a whole altered universe like she was weaker but they've also done it a and few it wasn't times funny.
0: it was like in season, right.
3: it was very it was very dark and like very like oh my god like buffy's in serious trouble but they've done it a few times this season and i had it written down and I but i can't find where i wrote it but it's like they've altered but like the dynamics of buffy and and how she can fight and stuff like that and i think it's it's interesting in this season that they kind of like keep going back to that like what if Buffy was unable to 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 do something. I don't know. I I think it's interesting because the the show is so much obviously as we get to season like when we get to season 7, they'll beat you over the head and say it's about power. So I always think it's the most interesting when Buffy doesn't have all the power. Or when Buffy's power is, like, doubted or something. So it, it is unnatural to, like, see her in this, subs, like, subservient role to Jonathan. And she's super unsure of herself. And she can't even pun, like, in that episode when she, when she's talking to Spike. And yeah. she can't even think like something to call him.
0: Yeah.
3: I just think it's, like, super interesting when you take a character who's reliably good at things. And, like, take that away from them.
1: hmm Yeah. It's just Jonathan also. I mean, the the... The thing I love the most is, like, when you also find out, like, it's just beyond the general kind of world that they live in. But, like, also, like, on a larger scale. Like, isn't he, like, supposed to be, like, in the Matrix? And, like, yeah. he also, like, created the... Like, he's, like, they... Like, it, it goes beyond the what kind of, like, he's taken from all these other characters or how he's had to, like, kind of interject himself into the story. But, like, also he's become this, like, beloved... Worldwide figure, which is also kind of hilarious.
3: Well, I love in the next scene, like when Tara and Willow are kind of giving the update on everything that's happened, and they're like making a shrine to Jonathan, like Helga and Hey Arnold, like they're like making <laughs> this like big collage of pictures of him.
0: I do, I do really like that because I. So the one thing this is, this this episode feels like a lesser version of the Wish to me, um, but. I like that we're still progressing the plot. Like, they're still talking about things that have happened. Like, they don't just, like, drop everything that happened for this alt-reality. Like, this alt-reality exists still in their world. Um, And I do like that they're talking about... And you're right, they're just, like, recapping everything that happened together, but then also building the shrine. Like, I think it's a really good... I do like that moment. Um,
2: Yeah, I like how Tara and Willow's, like flirty dynamic is still happening while they're creating a shrine to Jonathan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that it's just, it's just like this mindless thing that they have to do. Yeah. And they don't totally care about it.
0: And they don't even like acknowledge it. They're just doing yeah, Tara, it.
2: Yeah Tara's like, oh, that's cute. Like once.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then also, is it before this that Buffy, that Spike calls Buffy Betty? Because I do really like that. <laughs> um, yeah, he calls her Betty. I think that's, I don't know, I it reminded me of in season three in, it is in, in Gingerbread, actually, your first episode, Alex, um, where Willow's mom is like, oh, hi, Bunny, to Buffy. Um, <laughs> I like, I don't know. Because, like, also, I feel like Buffy's a name that, like, people would get wrong. I don't know. Like, people say Ian wrong, and it's like, that's a really easy name to say.
3: I had forgotten when I've, because it's, it's been a while since I've seen this episode, how much this is an episode about Buffy and Riley. And it's interesting that like they use this almost like a deus ex machina to like solve the problem of Buffy of, of Riley sleeping with faith while faith was in Buffy's body. And cause we have this scene in Riley's dorm room where like side note, his balls poster is gone, and it's a poster of Jonathan. Matthew,
0: I made a note of that too.
3: <laughs> well, we've talked so much about the balls poster on this podcast, and the very the the queer reading of it, as well as like the toxic masculinity reading of it, and everything. the absurd. There's so many readings for that balls poster, but now there's a Jonathan poster there instead, and then he and Buffy like have that conversation where they're basically like super distant from each other.
0: Matthew, I think that. I think that might be my new favorite thing you said on the podcast like oh all the different readings of the balls poster. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot behind the balls poster. And I like that people have come on our podcast and pointed that out without knowing that we have already discussed that. <laughs> oh
3: my god, every episode people are like, "Did you see the balls poster?" I'm like, "Girl, we're on balls one, we're on balls 102 now. We're not even"
0: <laughs> uh, something something, oh honey, my weekend. It's weird seeing them they're still like not being themselves but then they're themselves when they're just alone cuz even cuz then the next scene is Riley talking with Jonathan at the initiative and I think No, the next scene is Buffy Isn't the next scene Buffy talking to Riley at the coffee shop? Buffy talking to Jonathan you mean?
3: Yeah, Buffy talking to Jonathan. Oh, the it might be.
2: Yeah, I yeah. think it is.
3: Yeah, you're right, it is and I love that scene oh my god when Buffy is making the coffee and then hands it to Jonathan I died laughing (laughs) because she can't even make coffee but then at the end of the day she's not even going to drink it she's just like literally making it for
0: him (laughs) Uh, I just I don't like watch I don't know for me I'm just like ugh Jonathan Um, but it's, it's weird because it's weird that he places himself I was thinking about this so they never acknowledge that Other than, like, knowing Buffy's the Slayer, they never acknowledge that he 100%, like... It almost feels like he considers them the cool kids, right? Yeah. He, like, wants to be with, like, the popular group. Which is funny, because in high school, they... At least to them, from their perspective, they weren't the cool kids at all. Like, Cordelia and them were the cool kids. Um, But isn't... But it's that's
3: almost like, you know... is um. I guess for everyone, like someone else is someone's cool kids, right? Yeah, Does that make yeah. sense? Yes.
0: And I guess also if you're a, a nerd, you would think the like super powered kids are the cool kids. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I think after since they, they show the flashback back to Earshot and that conversation that Buffy and Jonathan have in the Clock Tower. Mm-hmm. And I think that really like affected him. He brings it up again in his like last scene in the episode. Um so I think he definitely like that's his last big tie into the kids from high school.
1: Mm, Right. True. Yeah. And and season three saw a shift of like the, the kind of, which has always been interesting to me in like the Buffy universe at Sunnydale is that the the kind of amnesia of like the fact that they live in the Hellmouth. Like people seem to be like, the students seem to be like somewhat at times aware that there's like weird things going on, but like, as a whole, like the student body's not constantly like, well, wow, there was another monster attack this week. You know, like they it seems like these things come up and people are like, that was weird. And then they like kind of forget about it, which I think they established that the Hellmouth does that, right? Like it like kind of makes you forget. Like I think, or maybe later they establish that that like the Hellmouth kind of makes you forget, like kind of makes people like have like short term memory in in regards to like the amount of Occult odd things that happen there. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting that, like, at, towards the end of season three, you saw like a little bit of shift in that. Like, I mean, like, give her the award, yeah, for like being the class protector and Ian cries. Is, like, <laughs> a, yes, very touching moment. Like, <laughs> I think it, there's also uh, kind of an acknowledge, more of an acknowledgement, like, in the season three and then onwards, that like there's weird stuff happens in Sunnydale, people are more aware of it, and I think Jonathan's especially more aware of it than like other classmates and people and from that point on kind of becomes more involved i mean like eventually you know he will become a villain and then uh, a com- comedic relief uh later on uh and i think you see kind of why he would think that they're like kind of the coolest group why he maybe wants to be involved in them
0: yeah i mean and he's like i said if i nerdy 17 year old ian they say he's what 18 i always forget how young they're supposed to be still in season four Like, he still is a teenager, so, like, oh, so then we get, then we get Riley, we get Jonathan going to the initiative, we get that general dude or whatever who ends up being the head of the initiative, quote-unquote, for the rest of the season, um, and he says that he's, like, brought in a specialist, and it's Jonathan, and I think Graham says to Forrest, like, finally, they're bringing in the big guns, um, (laughs) and, like, that part did make me laugh, and then, like, watching Riley confide in Jonathan about, like, faith and like i i mean jonathan it's almost like jonathan's dr phil where it's like (laughs) oh here's the really obvious problem that i'm gonna tell you the solution to that is also really obvious um and i couldn't quite tell if that's supposed to be because of the spell or like maybe they just like that i mean they clearly would have had a rift anyway after he had sex with Faith in Buffy's body. Like, clearly Buffy has reason to feel weird, but also, you know, he feels conflicted, doesn't know why she would feel weird because he loves Buffy, not Faith. So I don't know, how'd you guys feel about that?
2: Yeah, I think it's kind of a combination of Jonathan's really good at being Dr. Phil and, like, Riley and Buffy are very, very bad at communicating. That's true. Um, (laughs) And... they're they're very physical as a couple and just, like, don't talk about anything. Like, you see it in that first scene that they have. Um, Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both.
0: That's fair.
3: Um, I think it's interesting, like, so, you know, you're never really, we're never really privy to what kind of spell Jonathan does or what he asks to be. And you kind of have to do this, like, backward, backward putting the pieces together of like maybe what his spell was because aside from being like super strong and super famous he's also like super empathetic and he really understands like all these situations so it's interesting to think that like he wanted to not only be popular and like a badass and famous but also like i want to help solve people's relationship problems because He's going... It's, like, not something that you would think of as part of a regular, like, wish to be someone who's beloved, right?
0: Yeah, and I I do think he genuinely cares about the Scoobies. Like, I think it's not even just that he thinks they're the cool kids. It's that, like... I, I, I think he does... Like, while this spell was a terrible idea and ended up, you know, almost killing people, I think that he did it... And he genuinely wants to, like, be part of the group and, like, also be a hero and help people... Which, but also that, like, stems from, I don't know, like, I feel like being an 18-year-old man with an inferiority complex, right?
2: Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Um, I also want to add that we do get some pretty interesting information about Adam in this episode, because Jonathan is the one who kind of discovers Adam's power source.
0: Right, I... He That's, talks about
3: it when he's in the initiative. He says that it's, like, the uranium-235 power source and that, like, you can't decapitate him. You have to, like,
1: kill him completely.
0: Which is, like, later what Buffy actually has to do, right?
1: Yeah, it's a funny thing that, like, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, John, he, like, brings this up, but then, like, they... Do they not remember it because of, like, the situation that they were under? Because, like, they have to, like, almost rediscover it later. If I remember.
3: Well, I don't know if they have to rediscover. I think it's that, like, Jonathan finds... He says he finds the schematics for Adam. And Mm. I don't know if then, like, once he finds them, like, they're able... Like, you know, they're they're able to have them at hand or, like, they're in the system or something. But Jonathan's, like, the one who discovers it.
2: I do think that they forget a little bit. Because at the end of the episode, once the spell is, like, lifted... They're, like, trying to remember if he was in the Matrix or not. Like, they can't totally remember everything that happened in the alternate universe. So I think it might be that, too.
1: Yeah. I'm not sure which case it is, but if it is... weird. (laughs) If it is, like, then, like, I find it hilarious that, like, even though this spell could be viewed... This episode and, like, the spell that, like, kind of uh, allows it to happen, uh, even though it could be viewed as, like, a one-off or, like... uh, it actually does like provide very important plot information, like for them for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, which is yeah, it's really weird. Like I forgot, I said to Matthew before we recorded, I forgot how much this episode does progress the plot like a lot. Like Riley and Will and Buffy reconcile. They're like the faith issue. Uh, Willow and Tara, like we see more of them. We see Tara as part of their group. They find out how to chill out. At- like there's a lot of things that happen.
1: Something I read about, which I wanted to bring up, was that this is allegedly the first episode that introduces like the running gag of the world without shrimp and the world with just shrimp. It yes, is. It is. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh <my> God. I find that so funny.
0: I love that running gag, and I, I love,
2: love that <laughs> gag.
0: I love that it's in this episode. It's such a weird episode for it to be introduced. <laughs> um. You
3: always say that. Why is it weird? It's just, like, an episode.
0: Well, because I feel like this is, for me, this is, like, not an episode I revisit, like, ever. Um, I guess it's weird because I love Buffy so much, and the very few episodes I don't like, I'm always surprised that they have, like, these still, like, pretty big Buffy moments in them. Um, Because I don't like this episode. But, um... So after that, then we get them in the bronze, and I do... I really like... Xander and Anya discussing how Anya said Jonathan's name during sex um and she's like shrugging it off she's like it was a moan I didn't say his name um which feels very you know Anya um Mm -hmm. (laughs) and yeah like I mean we said before this is the first time Tara's it's weird because Tara's like just there hanging out um and it's the first time like she was only just introduced to them in the prior episode Um, when she helped them when they were going to, like, give Buffy as Faith the thing to, like, switch bodies and to unfreaky Friday them. Um, yeah, and I do like seeing Tara there. Um, they even pair them off as a couple, even though everyone's totally oblivious to it. Um, Mm -hmm. it's like they're clearly there together as a couple. Um...
2: And... Yeah, Buffy says, like, they're such a great couple about, like, Anya and Xander, and I genuinely thought she'd talk about Willow and Tara <laughs> for a second. <laughs> I was like, oh, no.
0: Um, oh, also, Riley says, <laughs> like, I, I know this is the spell, but it was just like, ugh. When he's like, oh, what a couple. I hope they wonder if they'll make it. And Buffy glares at Riley. And, like, it's like a really awkward moment, and I don't understand if we're supposed to read it as she's still pissed at him, or... Wait, where does he say this? He when Xander and Anya are arguing. Oh
3: yeah, yeah. They do
0: say like, "Oh, they're a really great couple," and then he says, "I wonder if they'll make it," because Buffy says, "If they get into a fistfight, I'm betting fifty on Anya." Um, and yeah, he says that, and then she just glares at him, and that's when Jonathan comes up and is like, "I have a song to sing for a special couple going through a yeah. tough time," um, which also feels like he's blowing up their spot, <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. They both individually talk to him about it, and then he's like, Well, I'm gonna go on stage and talk about this, which feels um, very gay. Twitter of him,
3: but also, <laughs> but also, when he pulls out the fucking trumpet, I died.
2: <laughs> yes, and when Tara's like, Oh my god, he's gonna do something new off the album, <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's a great moment.
1: It's so good. I, I just want to talk about the. To me, it's funny, uh, thinking about particularly like danny strong because if i think of all these actors and stuff as like i don't know like a high school class like danny strong was someone who like while on the show it was like oh yeah he played like dorky jonathan but he has gone on to be like uber successful like in a way that like like almost maybe i'm not saying like i think everyone's like had an interesting career like a lot of people have had a like post-buffy interesting career but like his is like i mean like he wrote like the Mockingjay movies like he created he co-created Empire like he's, he's he wrote like
3: he Daniel's the butler
1: yes he's had like <laughs> yeah. a wild successful career so it's like funny to me it's almost like the dorky kid in high school like did end up like being the biggest success yeah in some way. <laughs> I think he
0: won like an Emmy for Game Change or Game yes, Changer yeah yeah, it was. yeah.
2: yeah I-, I literally wrote down the second Jonathan started singing I realized the funny thing is Danny Strong can do everything well? <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like he can. <laughs> it's It really is crazy. I remember
0: the first time I discovered it was Jonathan was when he won that Emmy. I, I It wasn't Emmy, right, guys?
1: Yes, uh, he yeah, won an I, Emmy for Game Change.
0: I remember, like, them announcing it and him going up and me being like, holy shit, that's Jonathan from Buffy? Um, like, <laughs> Um, so like good for him, you know.
3: Well we, we we did miss the part where we first see the monster attack his fan Karen.
0: Right, which is after she's gotten the autograph.
3: Right, and she's stalking him milk style outside <laughs> Poor of the house.
2: milk style. Poor Karen. <laughs> she just wants to stalk Jonathan in peace. Yeah, that's all.
1: <laughs> yeah. I do love I mean like it's like a very kind of uh traditional kind of horror concept of like, Oh, you got your wish. Like, but like the wish creates a demon that then like messes. It's like kind of like a monkey's paw situation of like, you get what you want, but like with like this one caveat you didn't expect.
3: Well, that's, that's interesting. And I wanted to bring that up too. And that like, you know, we're always talking here about the the show's philosophy on magic and this made me think of that episode in season six, where um, that really ugly, like, red demon comes out of the sword. You know what I'm talking about, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Older and far away.
3: Yeah, something like that. And, like, I think that's the same episode with Half Wreck, right?
0: Mm-hmm. It's a Buffy birthday episode. They're all at our house to celebrate her birthday. And
3: then there's also that episode where Buffy in Get It Done, I think, where, like they send her away and then a monster comes to like the house and so there's always this idea i mean in season seven willow tries to say that like all magic is based on physics and it's like for every action there's an equal but opposite reaction type thing so there has to be some kind of like offshoot to to make you so popular that you have to create a monster
0: wait i have a thing to say about this um I don't know how to pronounce it, but they in the Buffy verse they give this a term in on the show Angel. Um Thomogenesis. And it's the act of creating a monster. It's the act of doing a spell that ends up creating a monster. Um And apparently Wesley describes it in an episode of Angel because they think that's what happened, but then it ends up being like, oh, that's not what happened. Um but yeah, mm-hmm. that's what happened in this episode and then they do it again it says the only other occurrence of it actually specifically happening from a spell is when Willow brings Buffy back from the dead and there's that spirit that's like no. haunting them in but the that's episode not, after that,
3: that's the dead person that came along with her when she traveled back from like a hell dimension
0: but this is what Buffy Wiki told me <laughs> that Buffy that the... Wiki is
3: edited by people and can be wrong <laughs>
0: And so, I am, and so could you, before. um, but yeah, so that there's they gave it a term in the Buffy verse, which I thought was kind of interesting, but they don't mention it till angel, yeah, that was all I had to say. That was my note on that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and oh, and Adam being impervious to Jonathan's spell is not unlike Cordelia in the last season of Angel, um, so when she asks where Connor is, she's more of an advanced being, so she recognizes. But so the spell doesn't affect her. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if the rest of you, if Alex or Katie, you guys watched all of Angel.
1: I have not watched, I've watched a lot of Angel. I have not like diligently like seen every single episode of Angel. Like I have Buffy. Yeah,
2: same here. Okay. Um,
0: Yeah, well, that's, well, it was like that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, uh, let's talk about that and then go backwards to talk about when Karen confesses, because I have a lot to, or talks about the monster, because I, I want to talk about that a lot. Okay. But I think that it's, I don't know, like, it's weird. They're not really sticking to anything on Adam, because Adam is supposed to be someone who's, like, super curious and learning about the world, but then in this episode, the way they've written it, he seems, like, omnipotent in a yeah, way. yeah. So I, but I can kind of see where, like, the strands are there, like, maybe cuz he's a computer it's it's easier for him to know all of his parts but then like where do you get the like i guess he's part computer part human and he knows himself but he wants to learn about the world maybe that's how they're trying to justify it but it doesn't feel like it's written to like actually be, be cohesive
0: yes i would agree with
2: that i i i agree <laughs> <laughs>
3: But I really want to back up to when Karen tells Jonathan, when Karen runs in and then tells Jonathan what happened, uh, she kind of runs in and interrupts the musical number, tells him about the monster, and you see him trying to cover it up. And I feel like, while I was watching this, I was thinking about how often... I mean, I was thinking a lot about Me Too and, like, believing women and how, like, Jonathan, he gets power. He kind of turns his back on someone like Karen who needs his help. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: And how he starts, like, actively covering... Like, he has to start a cover-up and not listen to the victim just to save his own ass. And I I thought it was a really interesting writing of a character. Like, Jonathan, we start out feeling bad for him in 2 and 3 because he's beat up on. And then when he does get power in this episode he's actually already abusing it
1: right i would say i mean like and jonathan is a white straight male so uh <laughs> you know it's like you don't i don't know i think you would be like oh like typical but like i also think tend to think about a lot like somebody's like disenfranchised they feel like not they feel like they're paid no attention in like jonathan's case um uh, i think on one level you could say like uh it's almost like a straight white geek kind of uh reaction to things but like also i think across the board if you feel like disenfranchised i feel like when you give those disenfranchised people like power like usually their reaction is to kind of like rectify the imbalance they felt in their life and in doing that they like overcompensate and like do horrible things I think we see that a lot. Like, I feel like I see that a lot, even with people who feel like they've never had a voice. And then suddenly when they get a voice, like they, they might not be as like, you know, fair and balanced as they would hope. Katie, what did you
3: think about that?
2: Yeah. Um, I really like the reading about me too, especially since Jonathan is continuously this like fanboy insert of a character. And that sort of like, culture of of men and fandom and picking and choosing sort of what they might support and protect and that kind of stuff um and i think that's true especially like in that we've seen in the me too culture i think that's a really great reading and also to what, what were we were talking about that he's just so precious about having this power and that it's all about power and he will do anything to protect it Um, but also in that moment, I think it's interesting that he still kind of feels bad that he's created this monster. Oh, totally. And that he didn't realize that it was going to happen and he doesn't really know what to do. Um, and then it's kind of surprising later on that he allows Buffy to help him kill it.
0: Yes. Yeah.
3: Well, and I think another thing that it brings up to to me too, and, and this, you know, Jonathan's obviously going to be part of the trio in season six. And I think Mm -hmm. we kind of see the beginning of that here because it's almost like a Gamergate thing too. Like where Mm -hmm. he's like, you have a nerd who thinks that he's, well, like you have a nerd who gets made fun of who thinks they're put upon. And then they put upon other people or like they are, they're like kind of, what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, ignorant to the fact that they are also like, they can all that they can also be bad, and that they are also being really toxic to other people,
2: yeah. I think it's him like being aware of the the ramifications of him getting what he wants and that it can hurt people. Like he says that he doesn't want to hurt people,
0: yeah, yeah, because i I, yeah, I don't think he wants to. He just, yeah, yeah, And he like, realizes. but I
3: mean, I don't think he wants to, but we also like have evidence that he is like, he doesn't let them, like, he you know, he takes the symbol. He doesn't let them take it. He, and he's like, mm-hmm. it starts actively covering it up.
2: Yeah, he doesn't want to, but he's okay with it if he needs to.
0: I put in all caps how annoyed I was at Willow saying to Buffy, You talked about it when you gave him a class protector award at prom. I put, like, that just, like, made me so mad. (laughs) It just
2: hurt you personally? (laughs) Yeah,
0: like, I was like, no, that's such a big Buffy moment that, like, I sob at every fucking time. And you're gonna take that away from me, Jonathan, you piece of shit, like. (laughs) And I also put that poor Tara is chased through the hallways of their dormitory by a demon for the second time in, like. Again. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I like, like, a Buffy month, like...
2: Yeah, I was like, someone help Tara, and then she helps herself. I was like, oh, thank God. I know. Um,
3: when and Tara then she breaks out
2: that spell, to,
3: when she breaks out that spell, I was like, yes, go. I was, like, living for that. <laughs> um, but also, we have to talk about when Buffy, Willow, and Tara are walking on campus, we have to talk about this trio of jackets that they're wearing. <laughs> <laughs> Because Buffy had like this pink jacket on, and then I think Willow, Terra's was brown, and Will, like, there was just like this terrible jacket moment. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, the jackets. There. Uh, it was
2: a lot. I was on the lookout for my favorite outfit and during that scene, I was like, it's none of those.
3: <laughs> I'm all, I'm just going to put it out there that the jackets are going to win favorite outfit because it really <laughs> looks like they are doing like a Charlie's Angels homage <laughs> thing. Like they're just all wearing these jackets.
0: But like mm-hmm. in frumpy jackets?
3: <laughs> they're all three. It's a rare that you get a triple frumpy jacket moment. <laughs>
2: And Terra's skirt. Uh. Skirt
3: <laughs> <laughs> the worst outfit to be running from a demon in. <laughs> if I were in the Buffy world, I would never wear skirts.
2: Ever. Because
3: you will just you're you're gonna run from something that's gonna kill you.
0: Like inevitably in Sunnydale, you will encounter a demon. Always like wear running only shoes. Only <laughs> wear
3: only wear shorts and only wear tennis shoes. Just wear athleisure all the time. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I I would definitely be like mm, I'm tired of wearing these and the moment I didn't I would run right face first into a demon and get murdered. So <laughs>
3: also I think the demon that chased that th- this demon that chases Tara and that is a manifestation of Jonathan's evil or whatever. He looks like he's made over from leftover demon parts from the demon that sold them the books of ascension in season 3. He has like the same Oh yeah. You could watch it again and then look at that demon, the one who can talk. He has, like, the same skin, teeth, and eyes and hair. I think they just had, like, leftover demon parts, and they were like, we need to make a demon real quick.
0: <laughs> I, I think a lot of times on the show they did that, where they are like, mm, what do we got left laying around? Well, nah, just slap it together.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. I think we
3: talked about this before. It's like Marge making Marge Simpson making over
1: that Chanel suit again and again, <laughs> but, with, but with demon parts. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. The monster of the week this week is very much the monster, part of the monster of the week last week.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I like how they're like, this monster is the manifestation of all your nightmares, and it looks like a very generic looking demon. Yeah, it's like...
0: It really is.
3: When I hear, like, manifestation of all my nightmares, I'm like, oh, this thing should be, like, the single most terrifying thing, or... And also, it's also weird that that one demon would be the manifestation of everyone's nightmares. It should be something more psychological, like making you think you're going to be single forever
0: or something. <laughs> or, or my student loan <laughs> place calling me over and over again.
3: <laughs> right. Like that's an actual nightmare. Not like, oh, something with a skincare problem is chasing me.
0: <laughs> something that I've never really seen before. So then we get Buffy basically is figuring out something's wrong after Tara's attack. And also I wanted to point out her coat in this scene, which probably will win favorite outfit for me. She's wearing that horrendously wonderful cheetah print jacket, which feels like a season one outfit and walking by and there's all these propaganda posters of Jonathan. It's just his face (laughs) and it says Jonathan and there's like a thousand of them. And she walks by all of them while she's pondering, is there something wrong going on with Jonathan? (laughs) And I kind of really, it's like real silly, but I liked it. And then, I, then we get the scene of her going to Anya, and I kind of really love that scene. I
2: loved that scene. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and it, it's weird because you realize how little they've actually interacted. I don't think we've gotten a scene of just the two of them, like, chatting. Yeah, Anya himself. has no
2: idea how to behave around Buffy when Xander's not there.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: she's just like, oh, I have to talk to you?
0: Yeah, and she's okay. like, all right, come in. <laughs> um, And I do like... And Anya often does this, and they don't use her enough, especially in Season 4, with the fact that she was a demon, so she knows a lot about demons, because she was a demon for, like, 2,000 years. Um, so, like, you know, her and Spike often, even though Spike's still, like, not one of the Scoobies quite yet, will often pick up on things that no one else does, because just they've, like, I don't know, they've, they have a lot of experience being around stuff and being around people. Um, but I like that specifically she uses her vengeance demon expertise in this scene um and i also like that she's doing it annoying like she's annoyed she doesn't want to be doing it she's like yeah whatever buffy yes there's an there's alternate realities and then as alex pointed out we do get the wonderful start of the world without shrimp which i like that that's her example later when buffy has her tell it to the scoobies yeah i don't know i really loved seeing them just interact I i don't know matthew do you have any comments on that no (laughs) okay great um (laughs) so then they go to giles's apartment and i do like that still even though like anya explained to buffy what she needed to know anya's still like when's jonathan getting here um and then jonathan does get there and gives them you know a like kind of bullshit story about like what does he say oh i got the tattoo on my back to remind me of this demon that i couldn't defeat um, right, that
3: he would, so he wouldn't underestimate it,
0: which like pisses me off again because I'm like, man, and I know like then in the next scene he is honest with her, but I'm like, dude, give it up.
1: Yeah, what you were just talking about, Anya, kind of reminds me of it's the same, and I found it very funny. It's the same, um, it's almost the same kind of uh, bit they use in season five with Don, where like if you re- if you realize uh, if you realize Ben is also Glory. Uh, glory oh yeah. Um, yeah like but you'll you will see it but you'll immediately forget it <laughs> um, so I did love the idea of like Anya giving the information and then also be, very much being kind of trapped in like the logic of the spell of being like the next moment like where's Jonathan again it reminded me a lot of like that moment later on I do like how Buffy like introduces bits or like kind of like narrative devices like this and then hones them and like kind of reuses them later
0: yes i always say that i think the show and i think a lot more shows do it now but i i always loved that was one of the things that like i really loved about the show was they always were really good at that doing a throwback the world without shrimp that's like a total throwaway line that didn't need to be and like you can appreciate it when it's mentioned each time without knowing that it's a reference to like oh they've said this before um Mm -hmm. yeah i really like when they do that also i wanted to point out in the scooby meeting it kind of frustrated me that Riley was the only one that backed Buffy up when he's like, I mean, this sounds crazy, but I I've know." have done the Buffy. exact same thing. Right. I felt like Willow or Giles would have backed her up.
3: Like, well, I think that that's the thing, right, is that like they're under some kind of spell that like they're not they're not really thinking. And Buffy to be kind of like Descartes about it is like think is the one who's thinking because she's the slayer. Like, I think that there's something like I don't know if the show is really like trying to say something but, like it's interesting that she's the one who can see it because, like her whole thing as the as the slayer is making order out of chaos and like trying to curb back the forces of evil. And she's the one who is able to kind of put pieces together that Jonathan is lying. Like John like um Adam has that line that like this illusion is not going to it's going to dissolve eventually. Like, it's not stable. And so, like, Buffy is the one who's supposed to, like, bring order to it all happening. And Riley is, like, I guess in love with her enough to to believe her. But I I kind of, like, don't blame Willow or Giles because in that world that they're in, they've never thought of Buffy as their fearless leader who's always right. They've only always had Jonathan.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but same thing with Riley, though, right? Right, Katie? Isn't that how but you felt? Riley,
2: but- yeah, that's how I felt. And it, just because it plays as such a, like, development for Riley... In believing her as the Slayer. Um, and I mean, I guess it makes sense more in the arc of this episode in that it really pushes their relationship, especially at the end, forward. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like it like serves more as like mending their relationship.
3: I guess as a writer, you have to make a decision, right? It's like, yeah. do you have her friends support her because they're her friends or do you like develop the character of riley by having him go out on a limb and support his girlfriend especially because they just made up and like confessed their love for each other
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah that's fair i also feel i i did put in my notes like that annoyed me and i feel like maybe it could be a symptom of at this point in season four they've kind of been separate Like, Willow's been doing her own thing with Tara. Xander's been going through it with the different jobs and going, like, being with Anya. So, like, they all have... And, like, Giles and and Buffy have kind of had, like, the separation where she's, like, hasn't been giving him all the information of what's going on. But still. So then we get the, you know... I I thought of you, Matthew, when they're fighting. Because I was like, eh, this feels, like, unnecessary, this whole fight. And then I thought of you being, like, you know, you're writing an episode of Buffy and you have to have a fight. And I feel like this is, like, the have-to-have-a-fight part when they well, have Jonathan go.
3: so much of it, so much of Buffy always goes with, like, you know, especially when you're manipulating universes. Like, how, like, can you, how do you get through to someone that, like, would rock their whole, it's like rocking their existence to think that Jonathan would be bad. It would be like if someone tried to explain to me that, like, Oprah was a demon who was actually manipulating (laughs) all the things that she just
1: did. Yeah, which, wait, funny enough, is a device that's used, like, Matthew, the example you use is literally an angel, right? Gina Torres' character?
0: Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Matthew hasn't watched a of Angel, but yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Gina Torres' is kind of, like, actually like, as if you told people like she's I don't know, she's not really like a lifestyle or like a television personality, but she's kind of like becomes this like a cult beloved figure yeah. overnight, like just <laughs> by existing. And it's like convincing people she's not what she seems. It's it's actually trying to convince people like, oh yeah, like Oprah's like <laughs> Oprah's like mind controlling all of us. <laughs> right.
0: I'm gonna be so mad at you, Matthew, when I find out Oprah's a demon, and you don't believe me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: No Oprah's not a demon, Martha Stewart is
0: <laughs> um, so yeah, then we get I almost feel like Jonathan gets off a little too easy, but I guess to be fair, no one died um but I, how did you guys feel about that like I feel like and Buffy is like very forgiving with him um I don't know how did how did you all feel about that end? Because I feel like it's just kind of like. Oh yeah, people are forgetting and blah blah blah. I didn't think you would come, and Buffy's kind of like pretty forgiving with him. I
1: think mean, she's forgiving of him, but it's also like they all kind of dismiss him, which I think then prompts his eventual arc later in later like, season. Uh,
3: that's the problem here. No one goes up to Jonathan and is like, "I think you should enter therapy because you're now going into the dark <laughs> arts to set to like address your inferiority complex and maybe." We should all lobby for, like, universal health care so you have access to mental health services so that this doesn't happen. This is how you defeat the big bad. Like,
0: I, I like the idea of it being the rally cry for the Scoobies to, like, protest for universal health care. <laughs>
3: this is the thing. Like, <laughs> you, too, can prevent nerd magic.
0: Like... But
3: I well, but when they're, but I do want to go to the scene where they're fighting the demon and like Jonathan's getting weaker and Buffy's getting stronger because I think that for like a one-hour episode, I, I think it, this might just be because I recently watched the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy, but it reminds me of the movie Spy with Melissa McCarthy because <laughs> Buffy has to like awaken to actually how good she is at these things, and it's a really interesting like one-episode-long arc for her where she is actually, like, when she starts pummeling the demon, she's like, oh, I remember this. And it's cool to see her character go through the arc of, like, I'm a dumb sidekick, no, wait, like, I'm actually meant to be more than this. And then to see Jonathan, I mean, interesting talk about getting off too easy when we brought up Me Too and stuff, like, Jonathan is unliked, and then he's super beloved, and then we find out that he is a monster who created a monster and is, like, allowing this woman to get beat up and allowing people to get hurt and doesn't care, to then, like, giving Buffy the keys to kill that monster. Like, the more she fights it, the more, like, things will be okay. So, I don't know. It's, like, a very interesting arc to go through. Like, he literally has to make the decision in his head internally, like, you know, oh, I don't love power as much as, I don't love power because I'm causing hurt,
1: Mm -hmm. you know? I I also love the idea that what you were talking about Matthew about like Buffy kind of having to like awaken again and what I love about this kind of spell is that like the spell doesn't change it it changes everyone's perception but it doesn't actually change like the reality Um, that like it kind of you know uh, remaps the world so like all eyes are on Jonathan but like you can't it's like almost like if someone were to do that Buffy's kind of greatness is so um, natural and kind of pure to who she is that like that cannot be changed. And eventually it kind of like messes up the entire, uh, the entire kind of charade.
3: Which goes back to the question I was asking about, like sometimes how the show is inconsistent about like magic and what it does, because when Willow changes the world, like Buffy Oh no, she does. She still knows. She's the Slayer, but she fully, she kind of fully falls in love with Spike. But then they, but then she says later, like I could tell I was there the whole time, but like my body was doing something I didn't want it to do. So maybe it is actually kind of consistent, because mm-hmm. Buffy, she says in that episode in something blue, she's like, maybe I'm immune to it because I'm the Slayer, but she's not. She's like completely trying to get wet up with Spike.
0: So I know, like, we're saying that, like, oh, he shrugged off, and that's. I still have trouble reconciling season 6, the beginning at least, season 6 Jonathan with this Jonathan. The last one we see before he becomes part of the evil trio. I just feel like... I don't know. I have... I, I It feels a little inconsistent. Like, it feels like okay, they shrugged him off, but also they didn't, like, reprimand him. They just, like, sent him to jail. Like, they did to the Ethan Rain. Um
3: But he didn't do anything.
0: But, I mean, he, like, altered all their, like, perceptions of reality um
3: i mean so did anya a bunch
0: well right um but that was when she was a demon and she's not a demon anymore and he's a regular human but i I just have trouble reconciling that because it feels like buffy saved your ass so many times jonathan and you still do this like fuck come on well
3: the other thing too i mean and i don't want to defend jonathan too much because he was like, you know, there was the whole thing that I brought up about how he treated other victims, but he did at least say that he didn't know that there would be a monster, like his intention. I mean, there's a difference between intent and impact and his intent was just to be super famous. And he didn't know that he would make a monster. But then when he did know that there was a monster, he started acting like an ass. But um, so there's there, he didn't go into it thinking there would be any negative. That's true. But it's up to us whether we believe that or not. I mean, I, I choose to believe.
2: Yeah, I think Buffy really takes pity on him in that last scene, too. Yeah. And, you know, she approaches him to kind of reprimand him. And then, whether intentionally or not, he sort of turns the conversation back on her relationship with Riley. And tries to, you know, he's very, very meek in that in that last scene. And very apologetic. So I could see why Buffy would be like, let's just let him go.
0: True, yeah.
3: I don't know
2: whether if that's him being manipulative or not.
3: But also Buffy could invite him out. Like he's lonely. Like she could be like, Hey, come hang out with us at the bronze to quote Buffy
0: herself. What am I? St. Buffy. (laughs) When Giles tells her she could ask Jonathan to prom.
3: (laughs) Well, not to prom, but like to hang out with everyone.
0: But he's not their friend. I don't know. He's not their friend. And he just did this spell. Like I don't want to hang out with this dude that just altered my brain. Um, well, they
3: hang out with Anya, and she tried. She act, and everyone in the group actively tries to kill Buffy at one point.
0: That's true. Okay, Have you watched right.
3: the show Tamar?
0: Yeah, but <laughs> I don't understand that reference, Matthew. It's
3: a drag race reference.
0: <laughs> okay, I thought it was gonna be Real Housewives. Um... <laughs> um, now I don't know what I'm gonna say. So fuck off, you. You say something, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, I don't know. They're always swirling around Jonathan. I think it would just be easier to, like, invite him out and check in on him. Like, no one's asking Buffy to, like, throw it down on him and give him the good shit. Like, we're just saying, like, invite him out and hang out with him so that he's not lonely and doesn't become a supervillain.
0: Well... You know, these things happen, I guess. Um. So are we at the end, Matthew? Are we there? Yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> what do we think dawn would be doing katie
2: oh okay dawn would be the ultimate jonathan fangirl truly um, especially in that.
1: That,
2: <laughs> that that first scene when they're all in john giles's house um and jonathan's uh coming up with a plan about how to defeat the nest like i picture dawn bursting in in like a Jonathan t-shirt and like a Jonathan hat and like a Jonathan like temporary tattoo on her face <laughs> and like shoves a picture in, ask, and, ask in like meet and like is very starstruck and wants his autograph and is like a total fangirl.
1: I totally agree. I also kind of think she would have been Karen's role. Oh. mm I think it's, like, she would have been, like, maybe, like, put in danger and that would spur Buffy to start uh, kind of investigating her surroundings and what's happening.
0: Um, Matthew?
1: All right. You want to
3: hear about a character arc? Oh, go.
0: she's going to give us a character arc.
3: <laughs> so I agree with Katie that I think that, like, Dawn would be the ultimate super fan, but I also think that Dawn would be the one who... Um, like notices that something is off about Jonathan earlier, because I think that as a like someone who's younger, she has like a pure sense of right and wrong, and like I think she would be the first one to like. Sh- it would be interesting to see her as the ultimate super fan, but also be like, wait, like that girl was attacked, like that's bad. Why, like, why aren't she doing anything?
2: Ooh, but people wouldn't I like listen that. to her
3: because she's a kid,
2: and that she's just so invested in Jonathan as a hero that she would be like, I don't understand why he wouldn't fix it
3: right and then in season 7 we'll or season six when he's a bad guy we'll get a call back to that and Don'll be like i'm the one who knew that he was a bad guy but nobody listened <laughs> to
0: me <laughs> um yeah basically mine is in line with all of y'all mine was i said that dawn would have showed up to giles's apartment just to be able to see jonathan and have him sign all of her stuff um okay so favorite outfit alex
1: I'm (laughs) gonna have to go with like the trio of coats (laughs) just because just because I mean like how can you say no (laughs) especially after they've been brought to my attention again (laughs) Katie
2: um so Buffy wears this like red cow print jacket at the beginning of the episode like when they're patrolling and then in uh Giles' house, and then in her conversation with Riley, and that was the only that was the only thing I that felt appealing to my eyes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Matthew, yours, the jackets, yeah. um, <laughs> the jackets. But a little
3: shout out to Jonathan's white tux. <laughs> he does um, look very snappy.
0: Um, mine was the so she not only wears a cheetah print jacket, but she's wearing a lot of things. Um, <laughs> She's wearing this, like, sheer top that has, like, frillies going down the middle of it, underneath of that jacket. Um, and it looks like almost the exact same top that Anya wears in the body when she's giving her very sad speech. Except for it's sheer, and she has, like, a darker top underneath of it. Um, that's probably my favorite outfit. Um, and favorite scene, Matthew?
3: Um, favorite scene would be the f- scene where Buffy and Jonathan are fighting the monster. All
0: right. Katie?
2: Um, I actually really liked the, the scene with the trio of jackets. Um, <laughs> just because I, I am, like, a Tara stan <laughs> and, like, to hear be yes. included. And <laughs> I love Tara, Buffy, and Willow, and just seeing the three of them together is so rare, so I appreciate it.
0: Alex?
1: Uh, the musical number i mean come on I, <laughs> I love i love a good musical number and the trumpet is is like is so fun i think it's a fluffy humor like at its best
0: <laughs> um all right everyone and now it's time to grade the episode katie what do you grade the episode
2: um i give it a, a b okay okay
0: that's fair
1: alex I'd give it, like, a B plus because I just think it's, um, I don't think it, it's not as, it's an, an inventive pre- premise done well. It's not as wildly inventive as, like, some of the other episodes that are kind of, like, these standalone, um, like, it's not as monumental as some of those. But it's, it's uh, they, you know, they come up with this conceit, and I think they, they kind of accomplish it well.
0: Matthew?
3: I'm going to give it a BB plus because I think that it has a lot of great ambitions and I love like an ambitious show. <laughs> I love an ambitious episode that wants to do a lot, but it does have, it doesn't always reach those heights, but I think that it's trying to do a lot of really great things.
0: Y'all are making me the hard grader, man. <laughs> ugh, I give it a C, honestly. <laughs> um, wow. I just, ugh. I just felt like I didn't care about Jonathan, and it was like, take the ticket. Let's get there. Um, okay, so, well, thank you all for being on. And if you want to follow our podcast on Twitter, we are at slayerfestx X 98? Just sounded like a big fart. Um, <laughs> so there's SlayerFestX98 on Twitter, and if you want to follow Matthew, he's at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z... If you
3: want to follow Ian, he's at IanXCarlos on Twitter. And Alex, where can they find you?
1: They can find me on It Gets Better on Twitter. That's B-E-D-D-E-R, like my last name. Do you get it? It's a pun.
0: <laughs> and Katie?
2: Um, you can find me at on Twitter and Instagram everywhere with at Katie Menard. That's M-I-N-A-R-D
0: yay and thank you so much for being on and thank you guys for listening thank you and we'll see you next week bye bye bye
1: babes